Good morning. Good morning, church. Sorry it's raining. I can't do anything about it, though. I'm sorry for that. Beat snow, right? That's coming. My name's John. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to do so. There's a couple different ways that you can get to know us better. If you are a guest here, we'd love to get to know you better. You can head to the Welcome Center after service. There'll be somebody out there at our welcome table to greet you and explain a little bit more about who we are as a community, fa- a community of faith. That's a great place to go. You can also, if you uh, enjoy a little bit of chaos and a little bit of loud conversation, you can head to the gym where everybody will gather for donuts and coffee and conversation. You can make your way in there. There are people that are looking for you if you are a guest and looking for you to help you get connected as you roam around and and look to meet people. And the third way, the most awkward way, is to come up to the front after service and stick out your hand. I'd love to shake your hand and get to know you, but that's a little bit of an intimate way to get to know us. But I'd love to meet you if you are a guest and you are new here. How many of you are familiar with this game? Put it up on the, on the screen. Okay, who's familiar with this game? The game of sorry. The most intense and savage board game of all time. If you're not familiar with the game, it's really quite simple. There's four players that play, and you start in your base. Your objective is to make it around the board and into your home. You have four pawns, and you draw cards, and on those cards are different numbers. The number on the card is how many places you advance your little pawn around the board as you try to make your way from your start, your base, back into your home. Seems simple enough, right? Seems like a fun family game night, doesn't it? But there's these interesting cards in the deck. They're called sorry cards. And when you draw a sorry card, you will move your pawn back into its base. Sorry. There's also the uh, ability to draw a card that matches the number of spaces ahead where one of your opponents may be already positioned. So if I draw a five, I can go five spaces and, oh, look, I'm a red pawn, but there's a blue pawn there and I get to what? Knock them off the board. Sorry. One of my daughters loved this game because her older brothers basically won everything competitive in her life. But with the game of sorry, it's a, it, everybody's the same, right? It's equal across the board. Anybody can draw a sorry card or anybody can advance their pawn. And so she would say when she would knock somebody off the board, sorry, you lose. Lots of tears, (laughs) maybe a few timeouts when things got a little too fiery. The goal of the board game, sorry, is to make it home. Despite opposition, 
despite the, the opportunity for someone to savagely draw a card and knock you right off the board. The goal is to go from your starting spot to home, to make it home. It's been interesting. I, I've always thought of sorry as the board game of life. It just represents life, especially the Christian walk, right? We, we start off at home at, or at our base at start, and our goal, our objective is to make it home, to make it home with Christ. And, and we're going we're gonna to navigate that board of life, and we're going to have opponents who are going to try to knock us off course, and we're going to hit those, those spots where the, the card you draw says step back two or three spaces. We're going to have those times where we're just waiting for a one or a two so we can get out of our base and finally get on the board. I've always thought that sorry represents the game of life. And what is particularly interesting to me this morning is that sorry... The game of life, the the Christian game of life, is really represented clearly in the book of Hebrews. The purpose of the book of Hebrews, which we're going through this fall, is to help people make it home. To help people navigate the game of life and make it from the start all the way around the board back home. Did you know that the vast majority of scholars say that the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon? It's actually a sermon. It's a 13-chapter sermon. We're going to try to go for 14 this morning. We're not. A 13-chapter sermon, or maybe a, a series of sermons, and we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We don't know who the preacher of Hebrews is. We have some speculations. We've talked about this a little bit. And we don't know who the audience is specifically. The preacher or the author, they never specifically identify who this is addressed to or who they're speaking to. But when you look at the letter, you know very quickly and clearly that this is written primarily to a Jewish audience, or, or these sermons were delivered to a Jewish audience. The stories that are told and the connections to the Old Testament that are used. So we don't know exactly where this audience is located or where they are, but we know that they are Jews who have decided to follow Jesus, who are now following Jesus, and they are a, a gathering of believers. There's a, a church that this, these messages are being delivered to. And the preacher's aim is to help that church, that body of Jewish believers who have trusted in the Messiah and are following him, his aim is for them to hold on to Jesus and make it home. Despite opposition, despite the temptation to go back, despite the frustrations of, of waiting, his, his goal is encouraging them to to not lose hope, to not focus on anything else but Christ. Don't move back, church, the preacher is saying. 
Ultimately, the, the preacher is saying that Jesus Christ is greater. We've been using the, the title in our series, Greater Than. The preacher is saying Jesus Christ is greater than anything else that you've experienced or faced or been a part of in this life. Jesus is supreme. He is greater than anything, especially to this audience, anything that we have had in the past. Jesus is greater. Keep striving for home, the preacher is saying. Hold fast. Make it home. Our passage starts out this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews 3. If you want to turn there in your copy of the scriptures, the text will also be on the screen. The the preacher this morning continues on this theme of greater than, and today he says, or the author says, that Jesus is greater than even Moses. Even Moses. So far we've seen that Jesus is greater than the prophets, that Jesus is greater than the angels, and now today we're going to learn that Jesus is greater than even Moses. Let me start reading for us this morning. Hebrews chapter 3 verses uh, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Now, all throughout the book of Hebrews, and we've experienced some of this already, but all throughout the book of Hebrews, the preacher will often give a command and then explain why it's important to follow that command. A command and then some teaching on why it's important to follow that command. And often, that teaching involves a metaphor of some type, some kind. And and, and so we see that this morning. Right here in the first six verses, the the preacher comes out and says a command. Fix your eyes uh, or your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Where are your thoughts fixed? Where are your thoughts most often fixed? I think the preacher knows that it's easy for us to fix our thoughts on lots of different things. And maybe this morning our our thoughts are fixed on all sorts of different things. Work. A tough week at work. Relationships. Things that aren't going well. Money. Your home. Your new car. Or the car that you need to get fixed. Your retirement account. That exam that you just failed on Friday. The stock market. Your marriage. Your kids. So we have a question right here. 
what are, what are our thoughts fixed on? What do we think about most often? Because the preacher to, in the, the book of Hebrews is saying, fix your thoughts on Jesus. If you want to hold on and make it home, you need to fix your thoughts on Jesus. We are to fix our thoughts on him. Well, the preacher goes on to explain more. Why, why do we need to fix our thoughts on Jesus? Or why should we fix our thoughts on Jesus in the midst of everything else that's going on? Why Jesus? Why, why should we fix our thoughts on him? And the preacher says he's greater than Moses. And he uses a metaphor here of a house. And admittedly, the text gets a little bit curvy for us. We don't we don't really talk like this or, or read things that are formatted this way very often. There's, there's a little bit of curving going on here in the text because we're talking about house and greater than house and the builder of the house. And, and what the preacher is really saying here is that Moses was, in fact, a faithful servant in the house of God. The preacher isn't saying that Moses wasn't good. The preacher wasn't saying that Moses was bad, that we shouldn't listen to to Moses' law, or that we shouldn't honor Moses to, to some degree, respect Moses. But he's saying that Jesus was, in fact, greater than Moses. As God's son, he, he's greater than Moses. And this would have been really significant to this Jewish audience, this church that's made up of Jewish believers. The preacher's saying, we, we don't need to go back. When when persecution comes and things get hard in life, we don't need to go back. We need to continue to look forward to fixing our thoughts on Jesus. Not going back to Moses, even though Moses was good and faithful. And there could be a draw and a temptation to go back to what's comfortable, back to what we know. The preacher is saying, don't go back to Moses. Look forward. Hold on to Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. And then the, the preacher sort of changes a little bit, it, it, almost like he's saying, well, while we're on the topic of houses, let me remind us that we are the house of God. We are God's people. We are his house, the family of God. And the house, uh, the people of God, we should honor the builder. Our lives should honor the builder. And then the, the preacher goes back to the Moses era. So there's Moses and Christ is greater and we are the house of God. And then he goes back to say and remind the people of what their ancestors were like. What, what life was like when Moses was the, the, the leader. What, what life was like for the people of God, the house of God at that time. And he he, he does so by bringing in a psalm. Turn with me to verse 7. He says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with, this, with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, 
they shall never enter my rest. There's going to be a lot more talk about rest in the chapters ahead. But here the preacher is saying, reminding the people of what it was like back then, what it was like under Moses. The people had hardened their hearts. The people were were drifting away. And God had grown frustrated with them. And there was discipline for the people of God. He's reminding them of the, the historical rebellion that the people had and how they lived and the choices that they made. And then the, the preacher takes a moment to address the church and encourage the church to not be hard-hearted like their ancestors. To not be like those people. To not be hard-hearted like the, the wilderness wanderers. He takes a moment to do so, to speak directly to the house of God. Let's pick it up in verse 12. After reminding them of of what it was like, he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Don't be like them. Don't have a hard heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as, you, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So here we see a few things. First, we see that the the preacher's aim is for these believers to make it home. The preacher's aim is for these believers to make it home. The word to this body of believers, and I think it's a good word for us today, is to fix our thoughts on him. That's the way that we make it home. Keep heading for home. Hold firm to your original convictions. Hold firm to Christ. When you, when you said, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior of my life, hold firm to that conviction. Hold on to Christ. Fix your thoughts on Christ, your mind on Christ, your eyes on Christ. Hold to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Press on for home to the very end. Often I think we, we think that this life that we live in, the daily things that we do, that this is all there is to life, that this is our home. But church, this is not our home. We are headed for somewhere else. This life and this existence, man, it matters. But ultimately, we, we're headed home to be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for eternity. And that is what the preacher is reminding the church in this passage. Hold firmly to your convictions. This is the preacher's aim. 
And the preacher's concern. The preacher's concern here is a hard heart. The primary concern of the preacher is a hard heart. A hard heart. If you've hardened your heart, a calloused heart, means that you are, you are not soft and tender and receptive to the things of God. See, what happens, church, is that when we entertain sin, we follow sin, and we live in sin, our heart grows hard. We grow desensitized to what we're doing, and we begin to justify our behavior, thinking that it's okay. And when we do that, we begin to harden our hearts. We grow calloused to the things of God. And we start thinking that our way is the best way. We start thinking the decisions that we make are the right decisions. And we're no longer soft. And we're no longer tender to the the things of God, the voice of God. We're no longer eyes open seeing how he is moving and having Christ's concerns and Christ's conduct in our lives. The preacher's concern here is that the people, the church, will grow hard hearts in their sinfulness. This was the problem with their ancestors, and this is what's being addressed in this passage. A hard heart often leads to an angry spirit, a prideful spirit, bitterness that sneaks in to our lives. A hardened heart versus a soft, tender, open heart. I'll be honest with you right now. The one prayer that I consistently pray for myself is that I will not have a hard heart. Because I'll be honest with you, men my age, and they're in their mid-twenties, <laughs> men my age, and I interact with men my age, men older than me, they often get a hard heart. They do not stay soft and tender to the things of God. They grow hardened and calloused. They look at life jaded. And they want attention for the things that they have done. And they think that the things that they're doing are the right things to do, and everybody else is crazy because they're not doing them. I've seen time and time again, men grow hard-hearted as they grow up in life. And I beg God, I'm not perfect, you guys. I'm just giving you an example. The prayer that I pray in earnest in my heart is keep my heart soft and tender to the things of God. Don't let my heart grow hard, God. Keep me tender and soft. Help me to know how broken and sinful I truly am and how much I need you as my Lord and Savior. I want to grow more and more and more aware of my sinfulness and my brokenness and how much I need Jesus. 
That's how I want to grow old. Not hardened, not bitter, not angry, but soft and tender to the things of God. I want to be soft and tender and gentle to my wife, to my kids, to those in our community who are broken, chasing after sin. I want to be tender and soft and give them the grace that God has poured out on me in his son, Jesus Christ. And church, that's what I want for all of us in this room, is that we would earnestly ask God, please, Lord, do not let me get a hard heart. Do not let sin in my life make me callous to who you are and to who, what you've done. That each day we would, we would cry out and say, Jesus, I need you more today than I needed you yesterday. Keep me tender. Keep me soft. Keep me, me open to hearing your voice. Let my ways be your ways, God. This is the preacher's primary concern. The hardened heart. So what's the preacher's solution? If we know the aim and we know the concern, the solution given, the solution given is encouragement through the church. The solution is encouragement. So praying for a tender heart is, is incredible. We, we should pray for a tender heart. We should ask to not grow hard hearts. But here the, the preacher in Hebrews gives us very concrete and a specific way that we can keep our hearts soft, that we can resist the deceptive power of sin, that we can hold firmly on to Jesus. Church, the solution is encouragement in the body of believers. It is encouragement within this group. The Greek word that's used here for encouragement is the word paraclete. It's a, a version of the word paraclete, which is the word that we use for the Holy, to describe the Holy Spirit. Encourager. Our encourager. Here in Hebrews, the use of this word is the strongest version of the word encouragement. In fact, when this text is compared to other Greek texts written around that same time, this word, this version of paraclete that is used in secular literature at that time, the word and the phraseology around it is, the, is used for pre men preparing themselves for battle. Preparing their, themselves for battle. Soldiers preparing each other for battle. The most direct way that we can translate this is putting strength into each other. This is the level of encouragement we're talking about. I love that. Putting strength into each other. This is not a simple pat on the back, nice job. 
but putting strength into each other, speaking life into each other, and deeply encouraging each other in the body of Christ. This is the the word that's being used here. Put strength into each other. This is the strategy for keeping a tender heart. This is not parent to child. This is not coach to player. This is player to player encouragement. This is soldier to soldier. Player to player. People in this room speaking strength into each other as the church so that we collectively don't grow hardened hearts. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Down by two against a rival in the Pac-12, battling for first place, and you turn the ball over. You turn the ball over. And what do you do? (sighs) Drop your head. What happens? Jalen hands. Boom! Picks up his head. You're not sinking your head today. We need you on this court. Let me speak strength into you right now in this moment on national television while everybody's watching. I know sports metaphors aren't for everybody, but man, that's a good one. (laughs) That's a really good one. It's beyond basketball. It's beyond winning the game. It's beyond all that stuff. It's a player who loves another player going up to that player and saying, put your head up, man. We got this. You can do this. Let me speak strength into you at this moment. I'm going to do it with, with my actions my actions i'm going to pick up your head i'm going to shove your chin up we're going forward church that's what i'm talking about that's what we we should be doing for each other so that we don't grow hard that we stay tender and we resist the deceptive nature of sin that will dr- allow us to drift away from the things of god so what does that look like in our church? First, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rattle off five things. So the first thing is this. It comes from a place of love and care. Sometimes I have heard that husbands will encourage their wives just so that their wives will encourage them back. I've heard that's happened before. And sometimes I've heard that we will, husbands will actually offer compliments to their wife so that they get those compliments back. I've heard that that's a thing. I I don't know. (laughs) Guys, this isn't fishing for compliments for each other. This isn't just saying to each other, great, and look what I did, and look what you did, and oh, we're great. This is coming from a deep place of love and care for each other because we really care about each other. Second, it's constant. It's constant. The preacher says, all day, every day, as long as today is called today, you should encourage each other. It's kind of a weird way of saying, 
all the time. As long as today is called today, because tomorrow is going to be called what? Today. As long as a day is called today, you encourage each other. Third, and this one's hard, it often involves the topic of sin. If we're really going to encourage each other to have soft hearts and to not be deceived by sin, it means that we're going to have to talk about sin. It means we're going to have to know what's going on. There's going to have to be a level of confession in this group and in our body and in our church where we know what sins are difficult and what people are struggling with. We're going to have to address the topic of sin. I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. He says, nothing, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. That's, that's deep. <laughs> that if I know that my brother in this room or my sister in this room is going down a path that leads to destruction, and I just, I just let him go? Man, that's a hard conversation, isn't it? That's when it gets real. Hey, I, I noticed that you were drinking a lot at the block party. Is that a pattern in your life? Boom! That gets awkward, right? Hey, I noticed that you are really, really harsh with your kids. Are, are things hard at home? I, I don't know what it could, there's a million different things that it could be, church. But we're going to have to deal with sin in each other's lives. And it means that we are open to confessing what's going on in our lives, and we're open to receiving a conversation about sin. Number four, it has to be a two-way street. This is not a gift that just one person have it and they do it, you know. Linda's the greatest encourager and we've got her encouraging everyone. Well, that's not what we're talking about. This is in, the, the author of Hebrew, the preacher says, one another. <laughs> this isn't my job. This is all of our job that we do this for each other. We encourage one another. It's not outsourced. This is not outsourced exhortation or outsourced encouragement. This is, this is we do this for one another. And the fifth thing I would say is it's intentional and it's specific. Real encouragement that speaks strength into each other's lives comes from a place of knowing that person and deeply being known by that person. This is why small groups matter in the church. Men's Bible study and women's Bible study and student ministry gr small groups. Our, our adult small group ministry, the college small groups that we do. We break everything down into small groups because it's hard to be known and vulnerable in this size room with this many people. 
But when you get into a small group, then that's a time to share who you are. It's a time to know others and be known. Because then we can really speak into each other's lives with real strength that matters, real intentionality, real encouragement. All right, let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that we will understand the aim, that we are headed for home. And I pray that we will deeply understand the concern, hardened heart. Keep our hearts tender, Lord. And I'll, I pray that we will, we will really understand the solution of encouragement. Helping each other hold on to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our only hope in this life. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing a few songs to close. Uh, also, there are people down front who would love to pray for you. Uh, I don't know who it is. Oh, Dave and Colleen. Uh, the Wigmans will be down uh, front this morning. If you have a, something on your heart that you'd like prayer for, we all could use prayer. Maybe you feel your heart is growing hard and you want to have a tender heart. Maybe there's something going on in your life you just like to be prayed over. That's what Dave and Colleen are up here for. They'd love to pray with you this morning. So please, as we sing, come forward.
Great singing this morning, church. Love hearing your voices. I've got just two announcements this morning. The first is about giving. If you came here uh, planning to give this morning, we have offering boxes in the lobby. You can just drop your uh, offering in one of those boxes. Most people give online. You can see the the link on the screen. Um, We give here at Glen Ellen Bible Church to help people follow Jesus. That's our mission. That's why we're here. So if you'd love to give to that, we would uh, appreciate your offerings this week. The second announcement is about the podcast. We record a podcast typically on Mondays uh, here at the church, and the podcast is aimed at answering your questions about the sermon, faith in general. So the number's on the screen. We'd love to answer your questions on the podcast this week. To tune in, simply type in Glen Ellen Bible Church to wherever you listen to podcasts. It'll pop right up, and you can uh, engage and listen this week. Our benediction comes from Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Go in peace this morning.